Well, hello to all my Facebook friends. Uh, great to be with you today. This is November 3rd, Tuesday, Election Day 2020. So we are all concerned for our nation today. Those of us that are in the United States, I have a lot of friends that are in other places. Well, maybe not a lot, but a few that I keep up with from days doing some mission work overseas and uh, appreciate you being mindful of us in this very important election time as well. I know that you're considering this and thinking of this and have been praying about this, and that's a great a great thing to continue to do constantly throughout the day today and in the days and weeks and years ahead. Uh, we know uh, if you've not listened to or watched my sermon from this past Sunday, I hope that you will. The title of it uh, is In God Do We Trust, and that's from my sermon uh, this past Sunday, November 1st, here at West Irwin Church of Christ. You can get to that on westirwin.com on our social media and uh, resources uh, link that goes to our live stream page, <clears throat> and then another link that goes to our archives, video archives, and you can find it there. I believe I have it posted on my Facebook page a little bit, scroll down some as well, along with several scriptures that I've been posting today. Uh, since it's election day and there's a lot of stress and anxiety out there, I'm going to try to maybe do a couple more. But for now, we're going to be doing uh, continuing our psalm study. So it's nice to see some folks joining in, Larry and Lynn Murphy. Uh, love and appreciate you all so much and your family. Of course, my cousin Gail uh, and Keith, great to see you, Gail. So thankful for you and your uh, uh, participation with this. Lots of others that watch this. I get a lot of views on it every week. And, uh, and that's, a, that's a great thing. I appreciate that very much. Uh, and a few will chime in and say hello. And that's always a nice thing. Makes me smile uh, as well. Uh, today, as we look at, um, continue to look through the Psalms, uh, Calls to Praise and Worship, <clears throat> this series that we've been doing throughout the fall. Uh, today, we uh, on Election Day, I thought it would be good for us to consider uh, the Royal Psalms this week. Um, uh, that seemed like the right thing to do. Now, that's not saying <clears throat> that our elected officials here in the United States are royals. Uh, no, that's not it at all. But it is to say that uh, there are a lot of psalms that are that talk about the king. Obviously, in the Old Testament days of King David and King Solomon and uh, the ones that came uh, after them, there are. Um, it was a time where the, the people of God were uh, led and ruled by a king. And um, after King Saul, <clears throat> who preceded David, who was rejected by God because of his disobedience, uh, 1 Samuel 15 uh, has one of the great passages in Scripture about that. Um, there is, uh, after that, David was chosen, the man after God's own heart. Even though we know that means doesn't mean that he was sinless, we looked at uh, penitential psalms, psalms where a sinner cries out to God in acknowledgement of their sin and seeking his forgiveness. And David was the primary one in Psalm 51 and then Psalm 32 as well. So we know he wasn't perfect, but he was the man after God's own heart, quoted even in the New Testament, long after his sins. Uh, regarding Bathsheba and Uriah and the people of God. So, um, uh, but after David, uh, in Judah, in the capital city of Jerusalem, in the palace that David built and ultimately the temple that uh, Solomon built, 
um, the king on the throne at the palace was a descendant of David. And, uh, and so David, of course, wrote mo most of the Psalms, not all of them, but most of them, and uh, including some of the royal Psalms where he kind of pours out his heart in prayer and worship to the God who took care of the king, namely him. And then there were others that wrote about the king uh, later on. Um, <clears throat> so, um, again, our elected officials aren't royal, but King David and the ones that came after him were. Uh, and so these psalms have to do with the king. Sometimes a royal psalm may have fulfillment in the king of kings, in Jesus Christ himself. Uh, we will be looking at a few of those, uh, and especially on Thursday, we'll look at the great Psalm 110 that is quoted a few times in scripture and, um, and a few other psalms. Most of the time, uh, the psalms are really not referring uh, to Jesus. Um, they're just a psalm written about the king of, of uh, Israel in David's time and Solomon's time or the king of Judah. Uh, after David's grandson, uh, Rehoboam, uh, took the throne when his father Solomon, David's son, uh, died. Rehoboam, as you know the story, uh, listened to some of his friends uh, and the YBB, <laughs> we used to call them the young bucks of the brotherhood. I had some preacher friends of mine and I that used to uh, call each other that. Uh, anyway, Rehoboam listened to some of them rather than to his elders, which was not very smart. And, um, and so because of that, the kingdom was divided. And the northern kingdom of Israel uh, took its capital city of Samaria and made Jeroboam, no relation, as king. Um, and the southern kingdom of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin were faithful to the line of David and continued to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. And the, the descendant of David uh, would be the who, would, which one ever that was, it would be the king, in this case Rehoboam, um, was on the throne there in Jerusalem at the palace. So um, there were psalms that were written about, uh, about the king of God's people. And I think most of the royal psalms are just really applied to the earthly king in the kingdom of Israel or, or the kingdom of Judah. Typically, royal psalms call for people and especially other nations to submit to the king God has anointed in Israel and for the king to act with faithfulness to God and with justice toward the people. <clears throat> I think there's... Um, there's really two main reasons for um, civil authorities. Uh, one is to um, um, provide for the security of its citizens and its nation. And the second is to maintain uh, justice and um, morality and, and order in the land. Um, and so that's, uh, that's a pretty broad way of looking at it. Uh, and, and so a lot of the, the royal psalms will call on the king to do that, to do that very thing, to uh, protect the people. Uh, a lot of times God will be praised for the victories over their enemies that the king has brought. David was certainly very much a wartime king. Um, Solomon, not as much, uh, but still at times. Uh, and, uh, and then, of course, to, uh, to maintain their security, but also to... Uh, provide for uh, justice um, and um, and provide for the people um, with order and justice and I believe morality. Um, 
And so there's um, a call throughout the royal psalms for the king to be concerned about those things as well. The term Messiah that we use to specifically apply to Jesus in a technical sense, if you will, is the term anointed one. And the king is also seen as the anointed one. You probably remember from your Old Testament studies that the king would be anointed. Samuel the prophet anointed King Saul and then later anointed David to be king uh, after him when he rebelled arrogantly and disobeyed God. And that's what would happen. The, the king would be anointed to serve. And so they would be called the Lord's anointed or the anointed one. And, and that term, Messiah, became a term that was uh, very special as applying to the ultimate anointed one, the Lord's Messiah himself. And that, as we know today on this side of the cross and the empty tomb, turned out to be Jesus of Nazareth, a descendant of King David, as Matthew makes very plain in Matthew chapter 1. Um, and then Luke would as well, I think in Luke chapter 3, uh, probably following the line of Mary. And so you have some differences there, but that's a topic for another day. Bill, don't get off track. Um, interesting topic, though. Uh, and so you have that anointed one that is the Jesus in a special, special way, but you also have the anointed one who is the king. And so a lot of times we'll read in these royal psalms about the Lord's anointed, or you'll read about that. Um, David himself would not lift a hand against King Saul, even though he was disobedient, even though he had rebelled against God, even though God had already told uh, David that he was going to be king. David would not <clears throat> bring that about himself. He would not lift a finger against King Saul, and he would say, I, I could not bear uh, to do such a thing uh, against the Lord's anointed. And so until King Saul was, uh, uh, was killed, David uh, was uh, one who would make sure that he was uh, acting justly towards the king. So we'll look at four psalms today and just kind of read through them pretty quickly and look at these royal psalms. We'll look at a few more, as I said, on Thursday. But one little note, Thursday, I will have to do this little study a little bit early. <clears throat> so it will be live on my Facebook page at one o'clock uh, Thursday. And um, and then it will just post there uh, the recorded version. So if you still want to swing by at three o'clock, it'll be there. Uh, you'll be able to find it. It just won't be live. Um, and so first psalm that we're going to look at, we're going to look at four, as I said, Psalms 2, 61, 63, and we'll close today with 21. But the first psalm is Psalm 2. And uh, this psalm, the second psalm, likely was read when a new king came to power. It was probably part of the coronation service, part of the time when that king was anointed to serve. Um, and what would happen typically then is kind of similar to what might happen in today's world. When someone new comes to power, that person is tested. And that was that was certainly the case in the ancient world. When a new king uh, took the throne and came to power, then other nations who were their enemies uh, tested them. And they might use that opportunity to attack. They might use that opportunity to stop paying tribute if they were doing something like that. Um, and so typically other nations would threaten the newbie, the new king, to see if he could withstand uh, those threats 
and attacks. <clears throat> and so this psalm, I think Psalm 2, uh, was uh, a psalm that was uh, written in, in light of that. And you'll see that, again, the way we judge uh, what is in a psalm is by uh, the content of that psalm. That's the best way. And so I think you'll see that connection here in Psalm 2. Um, why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Um, that's the threats. They, they, they decide, hey, let's get this guy. Let's get him, even though he's the Lord's anointed. Um, and the psalmist answers that. Why do they do that? Well, it's not going to do them any good, and here's why. Psalm 2, verse 4. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. That's what's going to happen if you challenge the Lord's anointed. God says, hey, I put my king in Zion, that Mount Zion, another name for the city of Jerusalem, uh, one of the, the hills, one of the mountains there within the city or nearby the city, Mount Zion itself. Mount Moriah, I think the mountain that the temple mount is referred to as where the temple was. <clears throat> but Mount Zion, we talk about we're marching to Zion. Zion uh, became the name for the city of Jerusalem, the capital city that in the time of David onward. And then also now, as you know, uh, a name that we sing about uh, as far as the, the city where the throne of God is. Uh, ultimately, uh, we're marching to Zion, that great song says. Verse 10, therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, probably referring to the king. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So you can see our, our task. Our task as we read these royal psalms is to say, okay, which king is he talking about? Is he talking about the earthly king, a descendant of David, uh, David himself during his lifetime? Or is he talking about the ultimate anointed one, the Messiah, uh, the king of kings? Um, well, that's one of those good, good questions. And in this passage, we see some of both. Obviously, uh, the psalm is written about a new king that's come to power and responding to the nations that will rise up and try to challenge him and saying that it's fruitless because God, is, this is the Lord's anointed. Uh, you're, you, you might as well pay homage to him and respect him because uh, God will fight for him. And so then there's that verse 7 of Psalm 2, which I do believe, obviously, is applying to Jesus. How do you know that, Bill? Well, because it's quoted in the New Testament. Psalm 2, verse 7, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And that is quoted uh, by Paul in his sermon uh, in uh, Acts 13, verse 33. 
And when he is speaking to Jews, he quotes from the Old Testament. When he's speaking in Athens, he quotes from their philosophers. And so Paul, in Acts 13, he, he quotes uh, this song. And he, and he reminds them that this was one of those verses that looked ahead to the ultimate king of God's people, the ultimate Lord's anointed. And the writer of Hebrews uses it a couple of times. And in chapter one, as he is comparing the angels to the son of God, um, he says, he quotes this passage and he says, he didn't tell this to any of the angels, but he did say this to his son, uh, to Jesus. And then in Hebrews 5, as the writer of Hebrews is, is making the case for Jesus to be our great high priest, he quotes this passage as well. Doesn't mean that there was a time when Jesus did not exist and God created him. That is put to rest in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and that great passage that ultimately goes on down to verse 14 and talks about that Word becoming flesh. Um, but he does say that this is the this is the one that is the Lord's anointed, anointed to be the King of Kings, anointed to be our Savior. And so these royal psalms are going to be fun, and they are some of them are quoted in the New Testament, uh, applying to Jesus. But again, for the most part, let's read them first of all, recognizing that hey, they had something to say about the King that was uh, of that particular day. And so a few more psalms today while we still have a little bit of time. Uh, first of all, Psalm 61. <clears throat> psalm 61, and then we'll go to Psalm 63. And in this psalm, uh, you don't always have a heading, and we've talked about the headings, but Psalm 61 does, and it attributes it to King David. Uh, psalm 61. And I think as we read through this psalm, we hear uh, similar things to that great 23rd psalm that we've already covered. Um, hear my cry, O God, Psalm 61, listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you, I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. Obviously the psalmist, will assume King David, uh, has experienced the Lord's deliverance in the past and is looking for that deliverance uh, yet again. Verse 4, I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings for you god have heard my vows you have given me the heritage of those who fear your name obviously very similar to uh, the 23rd psalm where david calls out to god that he wants to be with him and he, and he wants to rely on the lord who is with him to protect him and to provide for him and and he wants to dwell in the house of the lord forever uh, I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. King David had made some promises to God. God had delivered him. And, um, and, and as God delivers him, David affirms that he will keep those vows. Uh, verse 6 of Psalm 61. Increase the days of the king's life, his years for many generations. May he be enthroned in God's presence forever. Appoint your love and faithfulness to protect him. Then I will ever sing in praise of your name and fulfill my vows day after day. King David, in all of his sins, and he had the big ones, as you know, um, in all of his sinfulness, still he relied upon the Lord. He never stopped trusting in God, and he never gave up his relationship with God. In fact, he prayed, as you know, 
in Psalm 51 that God would not take his spirit from him and that would he would re, he would renew a clean heart uh, in David. And so he he calls out in that same vein here uh, that God would protect him and that God would give him a long life and that God would allow him to have time to fulfill his vows and David would gladly do so and he would sing and praise the one who had delivered him. A great royal psalm uh, indeed. And now Psalm 63. And this psalm, the heading says also a psalm of David, but it also says when he was in the desert of Judah. And again, you know, the headings are probably accurate, but they're not inspired. And so we have to be careful. And when you're reading public scripture, you don't have to refer to them at all. Most people don't. Um, along with some of the musical terms, such as Selah, S-E-L-A-H. But this one says when he was in the desert of Judah, and it sounds like it as we read the content. Again, that's the best way of figuring out what the psalm is about and what the setting might be. And, and if that's so, if he's in a desert, then it's likely during the time when he was fleeing from his own son, Absalom, whom he loved so dearly, but who was arrogant and who was trying to form his own coup and actually was successful for a short time and taking the throne away from his own father uh, in 2 Samuel verse, chapters 15 through 17. Psalm 63. <clears throat> you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. And so if, if that's right, if this is a psalm of David when he is in the desert fleeing for his life, uh, then that fits it very well. Verse 2, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, verse 6, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Truly, David, or whoever is the author of this psalm, understood who his ultimate protector was. It wasn't his armies. It wasn't his, his own physical strength, but rather it was the Lord. And he praised the Lord for that strength and that protection and that deliverance. Verse nine, those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. The Psalmist King David uh, had no doubt that even though the Lord had not delivered him yet, he ultimately would. And then of course you're thinking, why? what makes you think this is a royal Psalm other than the heading? Verse 11 actually of Psalm 63. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. The king himself praises and glorifies God, worships God, and all who are faithful to the king are also faithful to the Lord. And those who are not, they will be silenced and they will be defeated. Great psalm. Okay, so one more psalm, and that is Psalm 21. Psalm 21. Uh, this psalm is kind of similar to the first one we read through, Psalm 2. Uh, psalm 21 is probably one that is written about around the new time, the time when a new king takes over uh, and is read perhaps at the coronation of the king. Uh, and 
the king again is challenged, but the king turns out to be victorious and provides great victories uh, for God's people. And so uh, Psalm 21, uh, divided up into really three parts. Uh, the first part, there's thanksgiving and praise to God for the blessing uh, of the new king and for God's blessing him. And then verses 8 through 12, the assurance of victory for the king, even when he's tested. And then finally, the last verse of Psalm 21 gives praise to the real source of the victory, the Lord himself. So these first seven verses, uh, praising God for the blessing of the new king. Psalm 21, the king rejoices in your strength, Lord. How great is his joy in the victories you give. You have granted him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. You came to greet him with rich blessings and placed a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked you for life and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever, just as we had read in the previous psalm. Uh, verse 5, through the victories you gave, his glory is great. You have bestowed on him splendor and majesty. Surely you have granted him unending blessings and made him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord. Through the unfailing love of the Most High, he will not be shaken. What a great attitude. What great humility in, in, of this leader, acknowledging that he has a crown of gold and great victories under his belt, but also acknowledging that it's the Lord who has given him those things because of God's mercy. And so the king does not see himself being the source of those things, but rather the gift of God. Uh, what wonderful humility, what a great attitude for any leader uh, to have, and certainly for the leader of God's people, the king in Old Testament times. Continuing on in Psalm 21, uh, verses 8 and following give us assurance of victory for the king. Uh, the king feels that way and the people feel that way as well. And this part, this could be uh, a response of the people to what the king has said in the first part. Verse 8, your hand will lay hold on all your enemies. Your right hand will seize your foes. When you appear for battle, you will burn them up as in a blazing furnace. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and his fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their posterity from mankind. Though they plot evil against you and devise wicked schemes, they cannot succeed. You will make them turn their backs when you aim at them with drawn bow. Very likely this part is referring not to the Lord himself, but to the king and speaks about the king in, uh, in a sense in the second person. Uh, talking about his bow and, and his victories, and but also recognizing, again, just like the king had done, acknowledging that it's the Lord who brings about all these victories. And then finally, verse 13, um, the praise is given to the real source of the king's uh, uh, victories and the king's power. Verse 13 of Psalm 21, Be exalted in your strength, Lord. We will sing and praise your might. The king calls on all the people not to worship him, but rather to worship the, the real source of power, uh, the Lord himself. This past Sunday morning, as I shared a sermon again about, um, about trusting in God during this very difficult time, this challenging week, um, even today, Election Day, when there's so much anxiety, so much uh, so much so many questions and questions that may not be answered for a while. Um, but no matter who wins, there, there will still be 
tension, and there will still be a polarized and divided nation, and there will still be a lot of anxiety and stress. Um, and so I reminded us this past Sunday that our trust needs to be in God. And and how do you know that? You know that if you if you offer up your prayers to God, if you pray as Jesus did in the garden for God's will to be done. That is ultimate trust and faith in God. And so I ended the sermon by saying, I believe in the power of prayer because I believe in the power of God. Prayer by itself has no power. It might give us encouragement to hear it. But ultimately, the power of prayer is the power of God himself. And these Psalms tell us that when the king is faithful and the people are faithful, they acknowledge that. They acknowledge that the true source of power is the power of the Lord God himself. So as we close this study today, let me lead us in a word of prayer. Father, we give you praise because you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. And it gives us great encouragement, Father, to hear these words of great kings of old, of your people, who acknowledged that the power was not in themselves, but rather was in you, who acknowledged, Father, that they did not earn these great positions on their own, but they were given them by a merciful and all-powerful God that they answered to just as everyone else did. And so, Father, we pray for our leaders today on this Election Day 2020. We pray, we pray for the leaders who will be elected um, today. Even if we don't know which ones won for a few more days, we pray, Father, that you would bless them. We pray that you would help us as a nation to come together and heal no matter who wins. And we pray, Father, that those who are in power over the next years, that they will turn to you that they will seek to uh, bring justice uh, into this land, that they will seek to preserve uh, our nation and to try to build it up. And Father, we just pray that uh, you'll bless us during this difficult time of of, uh, pandemic because of this novel coronavirus. And we pray that our leaders will, will help us to do that. And we pray, Father, that our leaders in the midst of this virus that's not going away anytime soon, it seems, that you would help us to continue to live, that that we'll be able to manage all of the threats uh, that we face, including uh, this this COVID-19, but all the other threats as well. And we ask, Father, for your blessing. We ask for your guiding hand. We commit, Father, as Jesus committed his spirit from the cross to you. We commit this election to you. We commit our nation to you. Father, we commit to you our own lives and our own spirits as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Continue to pray throughout the day, constantly and in the days ahead for uh, this election, for uh, the future of our nation and for our world. Continue to uh, uh, be thankful for all the blessings that God has given us and and to take some time to pet the cat or take a walk or do some stretching or whatever it might be uh, that will give you some relaxation. Spend plenty of time in the word of God that as we've seen today, gives us great assurance that the victory belongs to the Lord and continue to pray. Remember Thursday, we'll take one more look at these Royal Psalms. We'll look at a few then. And also remember that it's gonna be at 1 p.m. Central Time, not 3 p.m. because Bill has stuff to do a little bit later on in the afternoon. Uh, God bless you. Thank you again for joining me today in all these studies and continue to pray. Uh, Continue to pray for our great nation uh, and for our leaders and for this election 2020. I'll see you Thursday.